Where's Dumpy's rusty nuts? For those people like me, who grew up into their early teens, listening to what is now called the new wave of British heavy metal, waiting for Kerrang! to come out every two weeks, I think it was, scouring those pages for the new bands, this documentary by Prism Films is probably pretty essential. This is Iron Maiden and the new wave of British heavy metal. Well, this is a really good and quite long, actually, documentary. It's two, about two hours, 20 minutes. Flies by pretty much, actually. Um, it's really pretty well done. You've got... I mean, you, the issue you've got with this is that, as he's said many times in this documentary, the new wave of British heavy metal, and I won't be calling it Nawabum very much, was a really disparate um, musical scene within pretty sharp parameters. But you did have bands who did other things in there. And there were a lot of bands in there. So you might not get to hear your favourite. You know, as I said, where's Dumpy's Rusty Nuts? They always seem to be on at the marquee. You know, where are Perennial Trier's Spider? You know, Boogie Metal. Where are one of my favourites, Shiva, who produced one album? You know, where are they? They're not there. Of course they're not. Because we... We'd be here all week. What we've got here is a documentary which starts to talk about the formation of the new wave of British heavy metal, then brings in Iron Maiden and eventually becomes about Iron Maiden and their early formative years with the new wave of British heavy metal a bit in the background, but there's nothing wrong with that. They were the standout band from that scene, really. And the bands that you'll find are the kind of, they'll, they'll talk about the older bands, the bands that were still there. So, the, you know, Judas Priest and Motorhead, and they'll name, they'll name Check Rainbow and all of that. Um, and some of the bands who were coming up at the same time. So you will get to hear about Tigers of Pantang, You'll get to hear about Samson. You'll get to hear about um, Praying Mantis. Great to see. And bands of this ilk. And the people they've got to talk about this are, you, you, you know, you won't, um, they're not going to sit Bruce Dickinson down and speak to him, although you've got some stuff from, um, some interview footage from Steve Harris of the early days. But really, you will get to hear from some of those band members. So they've got Rob Weir, you know, from Tigers of Pantang. They've got the twins from um, from Praying Mantis. You know, they've got Brian Tatler from Diamond Head. Of course they have. You can't have a new wave of British heavy metal story without having the sadness of Diamond Head, the band who never made it, all of that. And of course they've got all that. And as well as that, They've got the writers who were there at the time. So, of course, you've got Michael Dome. Yeah, um, sorry, Malcolm Dome. 
Yeah, I'm getting sick and tired of seeing him and hearing and reading his words because he's everywhere. The eponymous Malcolm Dome. But he knows what he's talking about. And you've got Jerry Ewing and you've got Jeff Barton. You know, these are people who are around at the time. You've sadly got Gary Bushell. I'm not keen on Gary Bushell, but he was there at the time and influential in writing in sounds about these bands. So you have got all of that. You've, of course, got the man in a way who started all of this and they start the documentary with him, Neil Kay, who was a DJ, took over uh, a night at a pub on the outskirts of London became the the um, they became the bandwagon and also the sound house which became incredibly popular people turning up with um, cardboard flying V's and air guitaring to the, to this music and as they point out you know it became so popular that people like Ted Nugent big American heavy rock stars were coming to the to the sound house or the bandwagon, whatever you'd like to call it. And that was not even in the centre of London. As Jerry Ewing said, you know, now you people wouldn't go 10 feet out, you know, outside of London or outside of the centre of London. People were going there, making that trip. It was very popular. And Neil Case starts this documentary with saying, with saying there was a war to be won. Now, I'm not sure about that. And following it up with Brian, with Brian Tatler from Diamond Head, who's a lovely, unassuming and gentle bloke saying, oh yeah, you know, we had a nice time. <laughs> it's really very, a very good place to start. So what they do is they don't do this chronologically as such. And the years that you will find here are from sort of 78, 79. Really, the 79 is the date that it all, it all starts, that the Big Bang happens here, through to about 82 where they say, well, things were starting to dissipate a bit. Now, 82, I was still listening to all these bands. And uh, for me, it, it finishes a year later than that. But I understand what they're doing. So they're not hard on the, chrono the chronology. What they do very cleverly is they take the bands here and they weave that time in and out. Of course, we start with the debate about when heavy metal or the phrase heavy metal was first used. And Steppenwolf are mentioned, of course they are. And in a way, um, Jerry Ewing is invaluable here because um, he's one of the ones who says, well, you know, you can talk about um, like Sabbath and of course you can do that. But there are, you know, other bands like, you know, Baltimore, you know, who, who can be mentioned too. And that's it's really good to hear that. Very quickly, we segue into um, what the music was about. We don't talk a lot about prog, not in a nasty way, not in a kind of oh, you know, it needed to it needed to blast away the, the intricacy of of prog. We talk about punk. We talk about the Sex Pistols and how the new wave of British heavy metal that music melded the two the two sounds, the immediacy of punk and also the the power of rock and what Malcolm Dome very cleverly does is, say, is talk about the DIY ethic of that you know the idea of here's one chord here's another here's a third now go and form a band and the feeling that you can get up and do that that's always been kind of vacuum packed for punk isn't it that's what they did and it doesn't you know no other musical form did that well actually 
Of course it did. You don't live in a vacuum. And what um, the new wave of British heavy metal did early on was take that DIY ethic and use that. Also, what, you know, Jerry Ewing says, and he's quite right, says a lot of people might not agree with this, but the Sex Pistols album, Never Mind the Bollocks, is a great, um, a great riff, hungry rock album, even a metal album, you could say. But then we start with around Motorhead and ACDC being, being bigged up as having a punk ethic, and Iron Maiden are shoehorned into that. We have Girls' School interviewed. Always good to see Girls' School, although later on I can't remember which talking head it is who says, and Girls' School were, were a girl band. Well, I think we need a little bit more than that. I think they were pretty pioneering in this movement, and they don't have that much. What you get is them swigging drinks and chatting, But uh, and I always love their music very much indeed. And don't forget, Motorhead and Lemmy were one of the main bands who were um, pushing them, you know? as a band on a par with them. You know, we've, we we get the music they play together and it's not as if, oh, we're just having some, um, some females to sing with us. No, they were a band standing shoulder to shoulder with them. Really important to remember that. And people do tend to forget it. We do talk about um, Iron Maiden and how the sound was slightly different because it does have a punk ethic in it. But Steve Harris, of course, is the main spring bass player, main songwriter with now Bruce Dickinson and, uh, and Adrian Smith. Uh, but the way he wrote most of the music at the time with singer Paul Diano, and he was influenced and has been always been very clear about being influenced by prog, which comes out later in, the, in Iron Maiden's canon. But if you can call it that... But here it's very good to point that out and Bushell gives us that, that information, which is nice to say. We get the Soundhouse and Neil Kay covered very well, it's quite right. And they also talk about some of the big bands here. So as well as Iron Maiden, this will be the main feature, we talk about Def Leppard. And it's contentious because of the way that Def Leppard always wanted to break America. We talk about the, their EP and the way that the DIY ethic bled into them and they didn't uh, like the, the way it sounded and all of that, but that it was a real, um, it was a real uh, um, bang, an introduction, and they just decided to do it. We talk about Tigers of Pantang and they've obviously got uh, Mr. Weir there, um, who's nice and gentle, very honest. They're great fans of Rush, and we see uh, Rush doing the trees just to show you who they are, just in case you wondered. We also get, because they've got the journalists there, we get the discussion about who first um, coined that phrase, those six letters. Hang on. N-W-O-B-H-M. Yes, six letters. And it seems to be in sounds, which became Kerrang, of course. The, the, the metal part of, the so of sounds became Kerrang, really. And he reported on a, a, a gig at the, at the Sound House. He went to see the Sound House, and um, there's a double-page spread. And the, the byline in it was the new wave of British heavy metal. 
he's really at the centre of things and it's always nice to see him speak because people like he and um, and Dome and, uh, and Ewing um, do have a real intelligence uh, about this and linking with the way that Def Leppard came out and were taken up by John Peel actually for their EP the Soundhouse tapes from Iron Maiden are put out first it becomes a collector's item now but at the time that was another punky DIY ethic we're gonna just put something out and see what happens Bushel calls it cocksure and I think that's probably right then we widen this out and talk about the way that heavy metal or hard rock was actually breaking into the mainstream at this point you do have Motorhead you know um, seen on TV regularly you do have um, Judas Priest take on the world uh, you know on top of the pops you know all of that and you and, and you also have Iron Maiden on top of the pops very early on Malcolm Dome saying well we knew it was mimed and they refused to mime at the time not just to, to make a stand partially but also they really meant it they wanted to do it properly and it just shows that they won't change you know, as Steve Harris says from the uh, footage from earlier on in their career, there's a lot of companies who, a lot of record companies who were coming to us, but they want us to cut our hair, they wanted to change our, our music, and we won't do that. They've always let the sound come to them. And that uncompromising nature and the way that they built their fan base up meant that when they released their first album, it went in to the top. I think it was, it was right up there. It was up there towards the top of the of the of the, the the album charts because they had an enormous following Dennis Stratton who was um, recruited for the just before the first album and had a, had a lot more experience of, of, of making albums than they had said that you know um, wherever we went there were huge crowds of fans and you knew that something special was happening we then segue to the second album which generally the talking heads say it's a good album, it's a great album. We're talking about a very small difference here, but I didn't like it as much as the first album. At the time, uh, Stratton was let go because uh, he says that he talked to, uh, to Rod Smallwood, who had them all the very tight leaders, the Iron Maiden's manager, and still is the manager, and wanted the band together all the time. He was saying, well, if you carry on bringing us all together, at some point we're going to break apart. He remembers saying to to, uh, to Smallwood, are you happy with my guitar playing? Yes. Are you happy with my backup singing? Yes. More than happy. Why are you worried about my personal life? And he said, well, you know, if you're listening to all the kinds of music that are not like the kind of music that Maiden makes, then I'm worried about that. And that is the reason why they broke up. Of course, he left and they got Adrian Smith in there. And the sessions for the second album were thought to be... Um, a little contentious band were a little um, contentious with each other didn't go that well the issues with Paul Diano at the time of course with um, the way the music was going with his use of uh, recreational facilities shall we say and um, when Killers came out it did well but it was kicked in the press you know let's not forget this it was it was well it's not as good as the first album and you know uh, where are the band going now Quite rightly at this point, Ewing tells us, you know, well, what, what happens is that you get bands who come through and then you get bands who are um, not as good. And let's not put rose-tinted glasses on here. There was an awful lot of crap 
in the new wave of British heavy metal. Because you get that in any musical um, revolution and in any musical movement. And he's right. Then we're into 1980 and other bands being dragged along. So bands that were already big, getting bigger because of the rub from the new wave of British heavy metal and younger um, record buyers. So Priest and Motorhead getting that rub. But we also talk about Saxon, changing their sound slightly, hardening up, Wheels of Steel, talking about what a great catchy song that is and that they couldn't do anything else but write catchy songs. That's the way they write. And at the same time, talking about Samson, who were another band who people thought would make it. They had Bruce Dickinson in there, of course. At first, they were a band who people thought would be making it and didn't. And there's several reasons for that. You know, they were they had a more blues-heavy style. You know, I, I don't think that Paul Samson was, was really the pushy type in that way. And Jerry Ewing calls them workmanlike, which I'm not too sure about. Of course, we had the drummer, Barry, who became Thunderstick with the sort of um, sort of nasty mask that he wore. Never been happy about that. He's interviewed extensively and um, he gained a lot of um, press for Samson, but that quickly began to pall for the rest of the band who wanted to concentrate on the music. Not somebody who sets their head alight and jump out of a window. As he said, I did both of those things. So, you know, that's, that's another issue, but I'm not sure, Jerry, that they were workmanlike, but it is personal preference. I understand that. We talk about how Def Leppard's long away to debut was seen to be too um, US orientated. And of course they do have a song called uh, Hello America, you know, and, and it was thought that they were there to break America. You know, we also talk about Tigers and their first uh, big, um, their first big debut, which was so successful. We see a clip for uh, Insanity. And then we leap in a way to Pyromania in 80, uh, 83, that, isn't it? I just have to go and check. Yeah, I'm right, because that's out of time for this documentary. Because, you know, they're talking in this documentary about when things started to run down. And they say that, you know, the major bands in the movement had deals by 81. And New Wave of British Heavy Metal was on its way out or was, or was changing. Diano was out. They report that here with no real salaciousness. They're very honest. Paul Diano is interviewed and says, you know, it wasn't going the way I wanted it to musically and probably it was best for me to, to go and I wanted to go. We talk about Bruce Dickinson coming into the band. And then we talk about the number of the Beast album, you know, and where that's vaulting um, the success of Iron Maiden. And Ewing talks about um, I when I heard run to the hills I thought my god what's happened to Iron Maiden they've got even better and they did it was a great fit for them so we end in a way with that success they've gone all the way through Iron Maiden they've got to their third album they're about to become world beaters and it's a good place to end a convenient place to end but we don't quite end with that because all the way through this documentary we haven't done the kind of um, salacious I'll use that phrase again and in a way musically titillating oh look at those bands who didn't make it ain't it sad and at the end they shoehorn that in because we've interviewed Praying Mantis a lot and you know there's there's a lot of people on this documentary saying Praying Mantis were bloody great and you know they were 
they were and actually now are again because inevitably new wave of British heavy metal bands come back but the two brothers are interviewed about why things didn't quite work and it's really really sad you know they were asked by the record company to cover uh, a kink song we're gonna do that it didn't quite happen and we were gonna do this it didn't quite happen and it's all very very sad and Rob Weir also talks about the way that it went for Tigers of Pantang you know they said that you know by by the time of um, the Cage album they were talking about getting outside writers in and they did and that became very successful and they on the impetus for that they felt really good they went away and demoed nine tracks went to their record company and said here's the demos for the new album and they said we really like that that's great but you know there were these songs as well and really these are the ones you should be recording and they were all outside uh, writers and we says you know well we would become session musicians if we did that so we we um, we dropped the major label I suppose before the major label dropped them and I think that you think that's over but it's not because we have to have Diamond Head don't we and we haven't really talked about Diamond Head you've got Tatler there lovely guy I've interviewed him myself really lovely bloke um, and I thought we were just going to have him as a commentator but no we have to do the diamond head stuff so and it's quite brutal actually talk about how good they were and how they put their album out on a an ind- on their own label at first and how they um, were being forced into the studio Tatler said you know uh, we'd just come off a tour we were forced into a studio to put a, another album together and of course that album became Canterbury which was the one that um, really split fans because it showed a lot more musical growth really and a bit of a softer sound um, and also then we've got Jerry Ewing being very honest again saying well quite there's quite a lot of mismanagement here at one point the management for the band Foreigner who were very big at the time wanted and still are came over to the UK talked to Diamond Head and said we want to manage you and they said no thanks I'll stick we'll stick with my mum if you don't mind and that's the kind of mismanagement that really doesn't help you it's a great documentary this it handles things very well and of course they're concentrating on the big players we could have concentrated more on the cultural nature of it it would be nice to see some of more of the fans they do talk about the legacy of that and say that thrash metal really was the way that um, the new wave of British heavy metal took punk and rock and push that what what thrash did was take the new wave of british heavy metal and turn that up and make that faster and go for that and i think there's some uh, veracity in saying that but really we could have had more of a cultural basis to it we could have seen more of the breaking through to the mainstream which was extraordinary as somebody who liked rock and metal at that time we thought we were outsiders to see that on TV to see as I said the other day to see Motorhead to see um, on uh, Motorhead and Girls School you know on Tiz Was to see all of that is was very surprising and delightful and it would be nice to see how wide the new wave of British heavy metal genre for bands was because it didn't stay in one place and although although we've got that comment 
that's never examined and it's such a shame that really it was a wide variety of rock not just metal hard rock if you concentrate on on one side of things or on one pole Def Leppard who were looking to an American sound early on and at the other pole Iron Maiden who were staying uh, clear and close to their hard rock metal punk roots then you're not going to be able to have a breadth that's really where this documentary lacks but it's a great primer for anyone who wants to look at that if you're part of it you're going to be thinking come on as i said earlier where's dumpy's rusty nuts where a raven where's athletic rock where's where's newcastle and neat records where's all that but you can get information on that and if you don't know about the new wave of british heavy metal but you're listening to bands who are influenced by that like like night um for instance um, like and like uh, Raider and that kind of band, then you know, if you're listening to those, and there's a lot of them around at the moment, this is where it all started. And you could do worse than go to John Tucker's book, Susie Smiled, but there are loads of them about. Yeah, just great. What about No Sleep Till? Is it No Sleep Till Salt Burn? Anyway, you'll find it. And there's great stuff around it and really well-written, emotionally invested stuff around the new wave of British heavy metal. This is clean and it's concise and it shows you where to go at the beginning and it's lovely to see those bands again. It's four out of five because it's got some misses, but it's mostly hits and those bands and that music will live on in my record collection and in the record collection of many others. Ta-ta.